Alright everybody, welcome to episode number 66 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. I'm here with Mike. <laughs> yes, what's up Dan? My co-host and producer. Yes, hello everybody. Yes, and we are here to introduce this episode which was taped live at the recent Cannabis Cup in Sonoma County, California. Yep. Santa Rosa Fairgrounds? The no, the Sonoma, Sonoma County Cal- Fairgrounds in Santa Rosa, yes, California. Correct. And we had a, quite a panel of uh, grow experts at the event. I don't know why this is so funny to you. <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> we had a panel. We did have a panel of uh, cultivation experts. Yeah. Oh, should we say that the event was awesome? We had a great time, and we thank uh, NorCal. Yeah, the for event. having us there. Absolutely, the event was great. Um, the turnout was amazing. The Everything was really good, uh, including this panel, which consisted of uh, Aaron from DNA Genetics, uh, Kay from Tricom Technologies, uh, Rick Frommer, buyer for Harborside Health Center, uh, our old friend Kyle Cushman, um, of course, Subcool and Ms. Jill from TGA Genetics. I think Ms. Jill making her first uh, free weed, live free weed uh, appearance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it might be the first female I've, I've had as a grower uh, on the panel, on the panel yeah. which is great. And she, she did a great job, and that, mm-hmm. was, that was fun. And DJ Short, another uh, DJ Short, panelist yeah. we've had and a show guest. So Excellent. Um, we're excited to have the author and breeder, DJ Short, author of Cultivating Exceptional Cannabis, an expert breeder shares his secrets. Yes. So in case you happen to miss the uh, the NorCal Cup, the Santa Rosa Cup, San Francisco Cup, whatever we're calling it, um, please enjoy this panel uh, that Dan hosted. I think it, it was an excellent panel, and uh, you got a lot of good grow info in there. Yeah, the sound quality is not as, as, as not great perfect. as we'd, we'd, we'd hope, yeah. but uh, hopefully the information's there. Also, hey, one more thing before we play this thing. Um, we, we, we know that you guys have been emailing and tweeting and, and all of that about your, your questions, and we want to get to everything, and we will. So just uh, hang in there. We'll be answering some uh, grow questions and just other random questions you have for Dan or me, and uh, that'll be coming up. But right now, Dan... Yeah. Without further ado, here is the panel from the San Francisco 2014 Cannabis Cup. What's up, Cannabis Cup? How's it going? guys coming out. Um, I'm going to get right to this panel. We're going to do quick introductions and get right to the cultivation stuff. I just want you to know, uh, if you don't know, who we've got up here. Um, starting here uh, to my right. Uh, did we want to do a little more banter before we introduce Was that enough banter? Do you guys feel satisfied? <laughs> it's hot outside. Well, welcome here. Uh, you know, it's pretty amazing what's been going on here for all these years. And we're just really This is our fifth time in, in the area. First time, time. Yeah. first time north of the Bay, like really coming to NorCal where, uh, you know, where it all began for the U.S. and where all of this has really, uh, you know, generations upon generations of people have been cultivating and being part of, the, part of this community. So we really appreciate the welcome from you guys. And uh, I guess, you got anything to say? Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, the panel's going to talk, but after that, if you have questions, uh, we'll do a little Q&A as well, so keep that in mind. But Dan, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, we don't have much time, so I'll do quick introductions. Uh, to your right is Mr. Rick Frommer. He uh, was a co-founder of Harborside Health Center, as well as the buyer there for many years, um, which basically means he's the guy who rejected probably <laughs> 80 to 90% of the, the flowers that 
that vendors brought him, and we're going to talk about why he rejected them and, and what what it takes to to grow AAA quality cannabis cup winning Harborside Health Center sh top shelf bud. And so, uh, welcome Rick, and tell us what you've been up to, uh, you know, since uh, not no longer being the buyer. Uh, yeah, I work on uh, education programs, both for the staff and outreach programs with seniors. And lately, I've been working a lot with um, parents of children, uh, specifically around CBD medications and stuff, um, which has been really um, exciting, fulfilling, and also kind of heart-wrenching work, too. Wow, okay. Hey, Mike, when you come back, grab a couple waters, please. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rick. Uh, welcome. Uh, to Rick's right is Aaron from DNA Genetics, a multiple Cannabis Cup winner, multiple award winner all over the world. Uh, pretty much every contest they enter, they've, they've placed one, shown trifectas, quinellas, whatever, whatever it takes, he, they, they've done it. And uh, celebrating now a decade plus yes. of DNA Genetics. So welcome, Aaron, and uh, let us know if you have a couple words to say about anything new with DNA. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're happy to announce we've uh, formed an alliance. We started making uh, some new substrates and stuff like that. Uh, we're introducing cork and taking away perlite out of uh, the soil game. Um, we're doing it all natural, uh, a, re a renewable source, and uh, that that. And then we're expanding into South America, doing in Chile. Uh, we're opening up a shop and distribution for South America of multiple seed banks uh, under our wing, uh, Rare Dink is uh, some Cali Connections seeds we're going to be selling. Uh, Crockett's line, who's outside right now, some tangent seeds, I mean, totally. yeah, sky's the limit. Awesome. Big thing. All right, uh, I'm going to press this. All right, and to Aaron's right is a longtime High Times contributor, most uh, gardens in High Times ever, greatest gardens of all time, uh, amazing indoor technological stuff, um, way ahead of its time in the growing part and in the concentrate part. Because I recently reread an article from 1999 talking about uh, uh, trichome technologies and, and how they're uh, developing uh, honey oil and, and butane extracted stuff. So this is K from Trichome Technologies. Um, 30 years of, of cultivating and yeah. Tell us a little bit about Tricon and what you're up to right now. Well, we're a research and development and uh, a consulting firm, and we consult for some of the largest gardens, like large-scale indoor production and outdoor production facility in multiple spots in, in the United States and throughout the world, and as well as terpene isolation and you know many other components to the industry. Yeah, you've even developed a new cold trap for a cross international that pulls terpenes out of the process. Allowing you to add them back later after they would have been stripped out by the dewaxing. Correct. Well, not by dewaxing, pumped out by the pump, just under vacuum. They're going to evacuate the first things to evaporate the water before the ethanol or anything else. All right, and uh, you know, Kay has seen uh, some of the biggest grow rooms, marijuana grow rooms in the world, and consulted on them and, and helped them to improve their production. So he can help pretty much anybody on earth produce more under the same amount of lights and equipment. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, to the right of Kay uh, is an amazing woman, <laughs> the better half of the man to her right. And uh, it's Ms. Jill, uh, a female American breeder. This is a very rare thing, very rare, award-winning female American breeder. And the plants are females. And you take a certain amazing and uh, Miss Jill, tell us a little bit about uh, what, you, what you've been doing because you, you guys do a charity stuff too. Absolutely, we have a charity garden right now that is currently growing. Last year we took the charity garden and we took half of the meds that uh, were accumulated from that and we sold those meds and used the money to buy toys and such. And the rest we used the meds and donated to patients. And I have an ongoing charity called, called Miss Jill's People Helping People. And you can always donate to um, through PayPal at donationsforpeople at gmail.com and it's the letter, I mean, excuse me, number four. And also, right now, I have just created a strain called Brian Berry Cough, and that is in honor of my friend uh, Brian Greenwood, who just recently passed on June 5th of ALS. And also, right now, I'd like to 
let everyone know, as part of my charity, I have a quilt that has been made of 35 different shirts from different people of the industry. It was put together by our daughters and very nice back stitching. And you can come by our booth and buy a raffle ticket for $5 a piece. And all of the money goes back to charity. Excellent. And also, if you guys know the Jilly Bean, that's a, a creation of Ms. Jill. Um, so thank you for that. And TGA Genetics. Wouldn't be TGA Genetics without uh, Mr. Sub Cool to Jill's right. So uh, Sub, tell us uh, a little bit about TGA and some of your award-winning strains as well. Yeah, you know, we're pretty excited. Uh, the Jilly Bean win down in Colorado, that was pretty much a, a sweet for us. I and mean, we were especially proud of the sweet of the That was kind of exciting. Um, TGA Genetics has uh, gone from a seed company to basically an American seed bank. Um, we have seven American breeders under our banner now. We all breed in the U.S. in the legal medical space. And um, we're doing some really interesting stuff with CBDs right now. Working on three to ones, two to ones. And uh, our Pennywise just recently tested 21% CBD, no CBD. From breeding aspect, that's pretty damn exciting. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, two, Mr. Subcool's right, is my mentor, <laughs> my predecessor at High Times as cultivation reporter and editor, and uh, someone who believed in me before I really even believed in myself, <laughs> Mr. Kyle Cushman. <laughs> Welcome, Kyle. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on. You've got your breeding stuff, and you've got uh, some plant food. Yeah, I'm really busy. Um, still trying to teach the whole world how to grow cannabis cup quality weed, um, you know, through kylecushman.com, free growers forum, encourage people to uh, participate in that. I even have a free uh, phone app you can download now, Kyle Cushman, once you write into the grow forum. You can get a lot of information, we got a really good online uh, growers community, organic and organic. Um, and then there's Vegan Matrix, and Cushman Genetics, and Buds and Roses. Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll get into some gross stuff with you as well. We'll talk about uh, mechanics. To, to Kyle's right, um, last but certainly not least, a legend in the breeding and growing game uh, for many, many years, creator of the legendary blueberry strain and many others, Flo, uh, Old Time Moonshine, and, and some of my, my all-time favorites, uh, Mr. DJ Short. All right, uh, we're gonna get right into some gross stuff. Uh, maybe uh, I'll start here with Rick because we talked about the buyer buyers and what the buyer's looking for. And, um, you know, he's dealing with the end product. So we'll start at the end and ask Rick, what are the visual cues and what are the things that you, you look for uh, before you, let's say, reject something from a vendor at Harborside? Um, you know, the answer to this question still is, uh, uh, for a long time, uh, the initial appearance of, of it, obviously, the amount of trichomes that are present. Um, but as patients in the last few years have gotten increasingly more sophisticated about the inputs that are going in to their cannabis, we're seeing terpene, you know, uh, profile basically becoming more and more important um, in people's buying decisions. As, as people are having more and more choices amongst, you know, see their OG cushions or their chems or their things, whereas a few years ago they were just happy to get those strains. Um, now they're really a lot pickier about um, the quality that those strains are grown with. Um, so we're really seeing, you know, uh, flush being, uh, you know, always a, a key thing, but, um, you know, even subtle differences that a year or two ago might not have been as important as the people are getting more and more sophisticated um, and really seeing that become um, more important. So burnability is a, is a big thing, and that's that's due to the way that people are flushing. Yeah, I mean, High Times has even added burnability as one of the judging categories now, and I think it's a really smart addition to there, because you can tell, as any of these growers will tell you, you can tell a lot just by the way a joint burns as to what it was grown in, how well it was flushed, um, and, and patients and, and consumers are just getting increasingly more demanding of the growers, uh, which I think is great. I've seen some really phenomenal cannabis these days. Excellent. Um, Aaron is busy rolling the joint. <laughs> oh, he's done. Um, Aaron, let's go back to uh, the seed, you know, the popping of the seeds and how, what's, what, what do you recommend? People are paying up to some, you know, a couple hundred dollars in some cases for a 10 pack of seeds. Uh, they really want everyone, any one of them, every one of them to pop. And uh, 
what is a, a, your tried and true method for uh, propping seeds? Germination. Uh, Germination. I'm a firm believer in letting the seeds soak uh, till, um, let them soak in the shot glass until they crack. And then I place them in the paper towel method. And just be careful that you don't uh, let them sit in the soaking paper towels, let them just be damp. So the root has somewhere to grow. And then, uh, then from there, let them get about an inch long and then plant them in whatever medium you desire to use. That's been our tribe, my tribe, two methods since I started growing. Excellent. Um, Kate, uh, we talked a little bit about some of these larger grow room applications. And you had mentioned to me something really interesting that sometimes when pe people are drying a lot of cannabis in one room, it can actually have an effect on the cannabis that's growing in a, a nearby room. Can you explain a little bit about that? Is that am I getting that properly? Well, there's there's a, a little truth to that. Uh, there's two different issues here. You get people with you know, large scale production facilities, a hundred thousand square feet, and you know to have that many vegetative, that many vegetative plants, that many clones on hand, on stuff, uh, uh, you know, at, on hand at all times is a difficult thing. So they end up trying to end, trying to have you know one room like that come down at the same time is almost impossible. So you got to stagger it. You you end up with one room full, another room empty, and then you rotate them. But what happens with, if you have a closed loop system? You know most people just think that you can just uh, control the humidity, control the temperature in a closed loop system with no no fresh oxygen source. You end up with high humidity, high temperature, and you end up with mold, mildew situations. But more importantly, what you're referring to is something called ethylene. And, and what happens is that the crop that's in, in the, the ripening stage ends up prematurely ripening the stuff that's farther behind it. So literally you'll have stuff that ripens itself, you know, two to four weeks early, and, and even more so ripens the next following crop two to four weeks even earlier than that. And, and what's the way to avoid that? Just dry, drying them in a completely different location? Well, no, that's where the cultivation aspect of it is. I'm just saying that you must have a fresh air source, you must have fresh oxygen, this thing. you just can't have a sealed box with high CO2 uh, a, a humidifier and a dehumidifier and, and an air circulation uh, system going on. They want you to speak up. Better? Yeah. Yeah. Better. Right. So yeah, you can't you can't work with the sealed system. You're going to have to have a fresh air source. You're going to have to have oxygen induced into that environment at some time. Now, the other thing you were referencing was was a, a, a drying and curing room. In a drying and clearing room, you get some people that just don't understand how to deal with and process a large amount of material like that. So they'll, they'll, they'll send the crew in, they'll harvest one day, they'll hang it up upside down or whatever they're going to do. And then the next day they do the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And they keep this, uh, they think it's a repetitious cycle. You can't have like, you know, stuff that was picked seven days ago in the same room as something that was picked today. It's going to it's gonna absorb moisture, you're going to lock in chlorophylls and everything else. And, you know, I, I walked into huge, huge rooms like, you know, half this size, and, and the second I opened the door, it smelled like 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 ammonia, which is which is you know degrad that's a de uh, degradation. And, and so, I mean, the, the the product will never taste right, never smell right, never be quality. And you know, even then, in that closed loop environment, you didn't produce a high amount of essential oils as well. So you've got very precious little of them. So to put them in into an environment like that and make them all taste and smell the same is what's going on in a lot of these large scale facilities because the people have never, ever, ever processed that much at one time. All right. Um, Ms. Jill, uh, you guys have recently uh, moved and started doing some outdoor stuff, and I know you're involved with that. Um, what, what have you learned from doing the outdoor uh, that's different from what you were doing indoors before? Well, normally indoors we would talk much sooner. We've learned that we need to let them grow larger before we top. We need to top more often. You don't want to let your plants get too high because once flowering starts, the stretch starts, um, they will get massive and you will not be able to see the top of your buds. They will be so large, they will get root rot and you will not be able to see it. You want to keep your plants cropped down small enough so you have control of them and you can see what's going on with them and you have smaller buds versus the large buds. And uh, you guys are in full sun so how much water does that take uh, when you have plants, huge plants in full sun? You know, we have some 150 gallon and we also have some 200 gallon pots. And I would say I water them for, I would say it was about 25 minutes last night. 
it took me to water them at full speed, so uh, into like a CMC bout, and that would last for about 48 hours. Wow. And it's still June, so... It's still June, and they have not grown full root bases yet. Wow, interesting. Uh, so, uh, tell me, uh, you know, you've got amazing strains, and everyone, everyone smoked them, and, and but what, what, it, what do people need to do when they, when they buy a pack of TGA seeds, and if they want to grow something that's a cannabis cup quality winning strain? Um, great question, Dave. You know, I'm a big, um, I'm a big proponent of, of selection. Um, we call it uh, either mapping a strain or pheno hunt. Um, and basically, you know, you grow ten pack of seeds, throw them all out. About day 45, I'm able to tell the males from the females, get rid of the males and keep the females. Uh, mark them all. Um, Jilly is more practical. She uses ABC and one, two, three. I like to use silly names like Scooby and stuff like that. Closer. Sorry, Scooby and stuff like that. But the, the point is, you keep a female plant and you also keep a copy of the plant in, in clone stage. And then you grow the plant out to the end and you let it cure for six weeks in a jar and you test it. And testing it, you know, we all like to test it. It's pretty simple. But don't miss any of those steps because we've screwed up before. We've like tested it early and we're like, hey, we like number four. But then after it sits in a jar for six weeks, we're like, hey, oh shit, we should have kept number one. I mean, I know everybody's been in that boat. So, um, so we really, you know, to, to us, a pack of seeds is like a pack of Cracker Jacks. And, and while it's really nice to be able to go into a dispensary and buy a clone for eight bucks, I mean, who did that selection? You know, I want to do my selection because she likes blue cheese and I don't. So if she selected a clone of jelly bean for me, it might not be the one that I like. So you know, I would like to say it's kind of like a banana. If you have a green banana, it's really sour tasting, it's hard to eat. And the longer it sits and ripens, the more that everything breaks down, oxidizes, it turns into a soft fruit. It changes, it has more sugars. It's the same thing with the bud. You want to let it ripen and you want to keep it in the jar and make sure you burp the jar, of course, but you want to keep it and let it cure before you smoke and test it. And then if the last thing I want to say is uh, one time I made the mistake of uh, doing exactly what I just told you and then we, we grew the clones again and they got better. It's almost like we budded them maybe a little too early, maybe they weren't completely mature, maybe the strain hasn't completely matured. I'm, maybe I'm just high, but the, the, the second run, the second run, it was just really so much better. So when you're doing a pheno hunt or mapping a strain, don't be in such a hurry to pick that one pheno. And I, and I love to say this, Danny, all these keepers that people have, you know, genius, Princess 75, and the Cherry AK, they're just fucking cuts that somebody grew out and found that good cut and then passed it out to people. So, that's it. So, within every seed pack, there's a, the potential for something unique and new, a new phenotype, and you can keep that as a mother plant and grow it over and over uh, in a room by using cloning techniques. Yeah. There's a, there's a clone going around California right now called Time Rep 2. It's, it's because it was number two. It's actually sold in dispensaries. This subcool Time Rep number two clone. I just gave it to some dude, and it's now company. So, it's just great. <laughs>you guys but i would be remiss if i did not mention the amazing grow boxes from bc northern lights uh helping people grow their own since 2001 these are well constructed grow boxes made in uh, vancouver canada and uh there's one for any need there's the producer there's the bloom box there's the roommate um there's one specially made just for drying bud um there's one for anybody that uh you know in any application basically check them out at bcnorthernlights.com their number is 888-236-1266. You can call them seven days a week. And they have really incredible customer service. Touchscreen technology, uh, all automated hydroponic systems, all um, all the fans and, and car, uh, carbon filters and different chambers for different uh, processes and parts of the life cycle. So um, they've really perfected the grow box. So check them out. And we always, as always, we appreciate their support of the show bcnorthernlights.com 888-236-1266 tell them free weed sent you and you get i believe six months of free nutrients so be sure to let them know that uh we sent you and uh get on your on the road to growing your own uh 
Kyle, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what, uh, what veganic growing is and, and why you think uh, that's the way people should go. Um, well, I use, I use this analogy. Uh, it's kind of like Thanksgiving dinner and sushi dinner are both really good for you. They're both nutritious, really yummy dinners. But after you have Thanksgiving dinner, you end up sitting on the couch and your body's got to make all these digestive enzymes and the plant just has to work a little bit harder. You need, you need other factors to come into play like decomposition. And uh, with veganic nutrition, uh, the, the nutrition is already nearly uh, completely bioavailable. So uh, everything you put in, uh, the plants can immediately use. And so everything you put in gets used and then there's no residue left over afterwards. So that's what gives the uh, finished product its uh, undeniably cleaner and smoother taste. It's a uh, it's a cleaner, lighter diet, more easily uh, more easily assimilated by the plants, more easily metabolized. Excellent. And uh, do you still have to flush if you're using organic nutrients? You always want to flush your plants. And and what is that? What's that process about? Um. What I recommend people do is, uh, the, the nice thing about uh, Vegan Matrix and veganic cultivation, I find the plants stay green all the way to the end until you cut the food out. Um, there's no necrotic, there's no lockout, um, no lockup. And uh, so three weeks out from harvest, I recommend cutting down to half strength of all nutritive products. And then uh, two weeks out from harvest, it's just uh, enzy enzymatic tea, and uh, honey or sugar, and then one week of just straight water. And so when you say honey or sugar, you're diluting that, right? <laughs> right, exactly. You're using a, uh, a carbohydrate product, a complex carbohydrate product, um, anything from sucanat to molasses to um, you know humble honey to uh, uh, you know yeah some thick stuff. Yeah, um, we use hybrid molasses at the moment. You know. We, we, we change it up every now and then, but, um, and, uh, and that's pretty much our, our method. All right, excellent. Uh, DJ, I guess uh, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to discuss whatever it is you'd like to talk about uh, with regards to cannabis and, and selection and, and whatever, because I don't really, uh, <laughs> you have free reign. It's not, Unless you really need a question. the DJ short show. Well, All right, anarchy, anarchy, let's go. Um, well, usually at this uh, stage of the game, we talk about the 11-13 right. light cycle, so I can go ahead and jump into that. Yeah, let's see how I was. I'll, I'll, I'll prep it by saying that um, you know most of the literature and majority of uh, you know the grow books and the advice that you're going to get will tell you that you know you veg at 18 or 20 or 22 hours of light per day, and you flower at 12 hours on, 12 hours off. And uh, DJ has a, an alternate theory to that, and he's going to explain why maybe you want to think differently. Sure, and that's basically um, in your bud cycle, 11 hours on, 13 hours off. Um, it's the same uh, flower cycle as the tropics. This came to me from old timers in the, in the mid-80s who uh, figured out, make your night a little bit longer. Um, one thing, um, that I've been able to, the value I see in that is um, the phenotypic expressions I see on 11-13, I, I don't see on a 12-12. So your, your plants will react differently. And what we're talking about there is genotype and phenotype. Genotype is the genetic makeup. Phenotype is the expression the plant shows you um, according to the environmental triggers that it has. Uh, a real quick uh, example on that is cold weather purpling. Uh, it has to have that in the genotype for it to uh, express itself, but it also needs that environmental trigger of a colder temperature. We also found that it's really not a set cold temperature, but difference between day and night temperature. So for those of you who are running uh, with purple strains that you want more color in, let your day temp go up a little bit and bring your night temp down a little bit in your last week there, and you can really bring on those colors. But the 11-13, hear me now, thank me later. <laughs> there, there was one other thing. That is, that is really, um, some really useful information. You say, you're saving an hour of electricity every day, too. Um, but but let, let me say that you are going, it, it is possible that you might may sacrifice yield, but you're going to increase quality. Dramatically. May sacrifice yield. What does that mean? 
It's supposed to, theoretically, it's supposed to increase yield. Plants take in nutrient during the day. A plant's main source of food is light, not nitrogen. Those are all like supplements to help it metabolize that chlorophyll from the light. Um, so, uh, just brain fart, where was I at? Uh, about that, uh, I said lower oh, right, right, um, and, and they put fiber on during the uh, night cycle. So theoretically, um, the stretch you see at night, so they're putting that on at night. Um, so yeah, I can definitely. That's actually and, why I don't recommend a 24-hour light yeah, veg. Except to rejuvenate a plant, um, uh, tough clones, maybe for 72 hours, and that's it. You also had an interesting. Awesome. You had an interesting theory about the last two or three days of flowering, uh, all darkness. Yeah, yeah, three days of darkness. I'm actually getting a whole bunch of different tips from people. Uh, these days, one of which was 24-hour um, darkness right at the beginning of the bud cycle, um, and now, of course, you know it, it's been kind of a road for a few years now. Three days of darkness before harvest, or just one day of darkness, while the plant is still alive, it's it's producing resins, and light breaks down the cannabinoids and the uh, terpenes. So by eliminating the light, the plant is still making these oils and terpenes. Um, you're, you're increasing that. Kyle has a question? No, I, I actually wanted to pick Kenny's brain a little bit. Okay. I, I, I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about, um, I tuned in, unfortunately, a little bit at the end. We were having a little private discussion, I think. But I want to make sure that um, you share some more information on, you said that at some time or another, a garden has to get fresh oxygen. Okay? And, um, I, I just want you to elaborate on that because I want you to talk about the detriment of having a sealed environment. As I know that a lot of people have been taught to grow under sealed environments. I mean, a lot of people think that a plant just needs CO2. It breathes in CO2 and expels oxygen. That's not really, it is true in some sense, but if you were to take that same plant, put it in a plastic bag and only pump in uh, CO2, that plant would die. It, it, it needs oxygen to metabolize the food and process the water and, and water is part of H2O or oxygen is part of H2O so it bonds with the nutrients and that's what gives you inocular pressure and makes that plant grow so without oxygen present in that environment at all times you just stifled development stifled everything you're trying to do okay okay so in a practical example in a you know in a non-commercial but let's say a relatively large sized grow, let's call it a small warehouse. Um, how do you recommend, and how and when do you recommend supplementing oxygen? It doesn't matter how big or small the garden is, it still needs oxygen, so you're going to have to supplement from somewhere, whether it's opening the door, closing the door every day, or working in the environment, or whatever have you. So what would the timing be? Uh, work that in for me in the use of uh, carbon dioxide supplementation. Well, it's just, a, it's a parts per million. You know, you're going to have to have, you know, 20% constant, you know, at least as much as you have outside. Oxygen. Oxygen. The same oxygen content you have outside, you're going to want inside. You know, if you, if you walk inside and you kind of like a pit in your stomach, it bangs and it gets cold, clammy, sweaty, and bangs, you have to ask yourself, is there enough oxygen in that room? So, I get it. So, you want an, um, you don't want a solely CO2 enriched room. You want an oxygen plus CO2 enriched room. There you go. That's that's what we need. All right, I have a question for Sub. Actually, um, we talked a lot about in the past about cation. Is it cation ratio um, or cation ratio? The exchange of uh, light for sugar. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, the Krebs cycle. Krebs cycle. Right. Krebs cycle. That's right. Krebs cycle. Right. Uh, can you expand a little bit on on that and just uh, how that photosynthetic process is? Yeah, I mean, basically what happens is, uh, and the way I interpret it is that um, the plant absorbs um, the, the, the nutritions and the sugars and everything and stores them up in the families. And the, the families are also solar panels, in my opinion. But the food is stored up in them. And a lot of growers, especially hydroponic growers, will grow plants green all the way to the end. We just don't do that. Almost all of our cannabis that you see in dispensaries that is produced by me in this drill is purple. And the reason is, is because toward the end, we let the plant actually fade out. And cannabis, by nature, is actually purple. It's covered up by the chlorophyll of the green. Um, what Danny's talking about is, is at the very end of the cycle, 
um, the plant starts eating itself. It starts sucking the sugars out of the fan leaves, and you see the fan leaves turn yellow and falling off. Well, farmers have known for thousands of years that you can actually stimulate this, like he was talking about with like, humble honey and sugars and stuff like that. But really what, what's, what's important is to know that we believe that a plant that looks like it's been driven down the road in the desert for two weeks, when it's finished, tastes better than one that's still green, and the leaves are all still turgid and everything. You know? Yeah. You want the plant to look like it finished. And if you're a, I don't want to say pro-grower, I'm not trying to sound egotistical, but if you grow seven crops a year indoors for the last four decades, you can literally look at a plant yeah, and know, and know that it's done. You know? Um, we don't even, we don't write dates on calendars anymore because I actually think it screws with my, you know, I don't want to know. I want to have to use my brain. Look at the plant and say, okay, the trichomes are amber, the tour, I like them. Everybody likes them different. Some people like more. I like about a 30% Pepsi because I smoke ash and I like light colored ash, so I don't like dark ash. So. Um, but basically, a lot of people don't understand this. It's in Clark's Botany in the, the final chapter. It's the chapter most people don't read, and I think everybody should read it because it does talk about this process. Excellent. Uh, Aaron. Uh, I, know, I know we're making it sound really complicated to grow pot. I want to bring it down and make it a little more simple. So just <laughs> explain how someone can grow a couple of plants in a closet for themselves pretty easily without spending a lot of money. I mean, most of the money is going to go into the grow light. And, you know, what's, what should they do uh, in order to have a great crop? Even Just keeping it real simple. Air movement. Bring in fresh air and exhaust into warm air that's created by the light that you have in your closet. And uh, so air sure movement you, is super air, important. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, you're, it's a closet. It's going to be almost a sealed environment. You have to have some kind of air flow in and air flow out. Um, humidity also be a factor. You know, uh, because light and watering and dark cycles create humidity and could mold out your whole room. <coughs> just uh, good genetics also help, you know. Uh, nothing too, if you're in a closet, you don't want to grow anything crazy sativa because it's your closet and you don't have ample uh, head headroom to grow some of these varieties or you have to flower them right from clone to get them at a certain size. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's really about the airflow, especially in the closet, you know. Okay. So? I would like to add, if you're a renter, you wouldn't want to make a lot of marks in your closet. You would do, maybe do an, uh, pull up your carpet in the corner, make an exhaust uh, right there in the corner, make an intake above. You can cover that with a nice exhaust fan when you leave, so maybe nobody will even notice it. That would be what I would have to say for that part. And that's a stealthy way not to have to run tubes in and out of your it's closet a, space. It's a big deal in California if you go on Craigslist and try to find an apartment. It says no 215 on 99% of the ads. I have five friends right now that can't afford to own a home. I mean, it's hard to buy a home here. It took me 20 years. It took us 20 years. And, um, you know, the renters basically, the landlords are saying no 215. So you definitely have to be able to set up a stealth grow to where not only you're not destroying the property, but they also don't know. And I will want to tell you guys about a product. I'm not even, I don't even know the name of the product. They make fans now that are acoustically um, wrapped, and you can sit them in your, in your lap, turn them wide open, you can't hear them. So if you're in a closed neighborhood, you know, where your neighbor's four foot across, that's something to look into. So new technology is also something that's really to be taken care of. And you know, on that note, you could also tap in your exhaust uh, fan right to your bathroom exhaust as well. And you know, maybe think about using LEDs or fluorescents, keeping it low like that, heat, keep the heat down, and as well you can get the plants closer to them. Now, Ms. Jill, is there a unique perspective that you have to the cannabis plant being a female and a, a, a breeder of the plant? And uh, is there anything that you think uh, you know the, the ladies have on the guys? Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. If they speak to us, we speak to them. It's a girl thing. <laughs> well, I can't tell you. I, 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 I like asking that question. So Julie has the uncanny ability to walk in the grow room that, that I spend a lot of time in, walk over to plants and go, yeah, that's the keeper. 
And then 50 days later, after I worked my ass off, and we get to the end of it, guess one's the one that's like 90% of the time the one that, that I end up keeping. The one that she pointed to while to see. So I don't know how she does it. I could actually uh, choose the one that we call Space space Queen now. Uh, space Queen all? number two, yeah. Space Chill, I'm not sure what name we use now. Space Bomb. Nice, cool. Um, Kay, you see some of the largest growers right now, and you're seeing the changes that are happening. Booms are getting bigger and bigger. I recently did a story uh, called the Indoor Acre, 44,000 square foot indoor growth facility in Denver, uh, 800 lights, all in one, well, no, separated into different spaces, um, but huge. And, uh, and you see those routinely. What do you see as the future of cannabis production in the face of you know the end of uh, prohibition? Prohibition. <clears throat> It's going to be mindful of the cost of production. So, you know, you know what, what, what really, you know, is the cheapest? The sun is the cheapest. So it's going to go into large-scale greenhouses. I mean, because that's got the lowest cost of production. But you still have to heat. You still have to cool, cool and control the environment in that greenhouse. And so, it's tough, right? And it's very tough, and it's still very expensive. I mean, if you're in Denver and it's minus 17 out, you're going to be spending some big money to heat that thing. Right. Hopefully, hopefully less money than you make, you know, uh, than you end up with profit. So, right. <laughs> you know, in, in, in that vein, the same thing as if you're in Arizona and you've got 115 degrees, you know. So, honestly, I believe in the future that you're going to get the lighting companies like, you know, Westinghouse, Sylvania, and all Phillips, and all those are going to compete for our dollar. Right now, they sell these lights, but they don't acknowledge our industry at all. In the future, they're going to they're going to end up. You know, competing for our dollar. They're going to make more efficient, better lights. So those are going to have a lower cost of production, less heat associated with and I feel the industry will end up, end up going back indoors because it's cheaper to heat and cheaper to cool. So you think it'll go from greenhouses back to indoors eventually? Someday, once we have proper technology, people are catering to, catering to our environment, you know. And when you're talking about the greenhouses, you're talking about uh, a greenhouse with supplemental lighting for times when you don't have uh, sunshine and light deprivation capabilities for times when there's too much sunshine. Absolutely. So you can get you know multiple crops per year, control the height of some strains that want to go too tall, and gives you a complete complete control of the outside environment. Now, if someone has to buy one grow light. And, and they're growing at home for themselves, what would you recommend? Not necessarily the brand, but the type of light. Uh, I mean, right now I just don't see that um, inductions are there yet, LEDs aren't there yet. Yes, they produce a little bit less heat. They're not producing a full spectrum. They're not giving you a full finished product the way they should. So HID, high, so, so high intensity discharge light. still at HID. And which of that, there's metal halide and there's high pressure sodium, is, find a big difference? Depending on the stage of growth, you're going to utilize more of a predominance of one or another, but I prefer to use a 60-40 mix. I like a 60% metal halide or sodium halide and a 40% sodium, uh, uh, excuse me, a 60% sodium halide, 40% metal halide. I like a lot of blue spectrum and stuff that encourages resin development and stuff like that. All right. So how do you feel about the plasma lighting? I just don't feel it's there yet. I think it's a very, very expensive option, and if that bulb goes out, try to get one real fast. And you know, all the pieces, parts, and but it, it does have merit. And let's see if they can drop the price and make it competitive. But and that's the beautiful thing is in prohibition. I mean, these people are going to have to prove their they're going to have to prove their results. I mean, they say they got a better light. Show me you got a better light. You know, and their competitors are immediately going to want to compete with that, so they're going to make a better light. Uh, have you noticed one of you like? We've been working with Gavita since we've been in Amsterdam for a long time. We've got to test multiple versions of all their their lights. Um, we felt that plasma lights, instead of using a metal halide, you can use plasma lights as that supplemental lighting. Uh, it also plants plants really thrive. It's a great spectrum of light, and uh, the new I mean, like for the the new. The new uh, Gavita double-ended bulbs. I think they're the Gavita Pros. Um, I can honestly say, like, I've seen people that normally crop, let's just say, one pound per light, double their harvest. So now they're getting two pounds of light just with Gavita Pros. And there's also uh, the Papillon lighting, which is almost the same thing as the Gavita. It's just a different company. That's Philips, right? Phil Phillips. Well, Gavita is the ballast. Philips are the bulbs. 
and Philips is another Dutch company, and they they make lights for growing, for growers, for farmers. I mean, the 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 facilities they have in Holland are some of the state of the art facilities that they use Govitas in, and they're having amazing results using these lightings, these lights. Um, it's, yeah, Gavita's like, you know, they work with farmers for flowers. Actually, I have two things I want to say. Uh, to, I have a heating and air background, um, and uh, I'm called on more and more today to run loads for uh, concrete slabs that have uh, uh, chill water lines or either hot water lines in them. Um, and we're doing, I mean, I ran a load calculation for a guy uh, two days ago. He needs a 60-ton chiller for his greenhouse. He grows 65,000 pounds of marijuana in Colorado. TGA, all TGA. It's called Maggie's Farm. Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine what 65,000 pounds of marijuana. And then you know what he tells me? And we run out every year. We're trying to get bigger every year. So I just, I just wanted to bring that, that part up. The other thing I wanted to talk about that, that I was really, I mean, everybody here on this table has been growing a long time, but I was blown away to know, and I want all you guys to know this because I thought I knew a lot about it, your reflectors, you ever think about it, you take your glass out, you clean it, but you don't clean reflectors. And that's why Gavita figured out to do that replaceable reflector because even if I go in and clean my reflectors, I'm scuffing them up. And uh, we have some friends uh, at a local uh, supply, uh, monster gardens. They do all kind of testing. And so they actually set all these hoods up with all these instruments and bar meters and everything. And no kidding, you turn a hood on and run it for a month and you lose 15% of your light because the damn reflectors got dust on it. I never even knew that. So it's literally steep. Yeah, and with the glass too, yeah. And you know, we clean, we, I've always cleaned the glass. But who would have thought, A, that you need to clean the reflector, and B, if you clean it enough, you, you, you've ruined the reflection of it. So if you this, I don't know how much Gavita's insert cost, but it's, it's 15 bucks or something like that. And they fit in the beam. Um, and what, what we're going to see, I believe, is I've designed a lot of grow rooms in my life, and they're all based on eight, ten foot, I mean, eight to nine foot ceilings. And now you're going to see ten to twelve foot ceilings because these these new high intensity. I wanted to share this with everyone at the table, though. Um, I was at a, uh, this same shop the other day, and they're using LED for a completely different um, reason. They have a LED that uses white, red, and blue. They have full adjustment on every spectrum. They're actually able to change the taste the flavor of cannabis by either giving it more white, more red, more blue. They don't even have a science yet for it, but it's just supplementing with UVA, UVB. We've all played with this through the years, but these guys are actually able to say, hey, we take this strain and we grow it with more red, it's spicy. We take this strain and grow it with more white, it's fruitier. We take this strain and grow it with more blue. So the advances coming in the LED, I think you're gonna see it in supplementation not in actual trying to, pr to produce with the stuff, okay? So, just want to pass that on. Excellent. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but I know that you know, you're listening to this panel and you want to get growing and you don't necessarily know where to get your seeds from. I have a great option, Gorilla Cannabis Seeds. This company uh, out of the UK is celebrating over a decade of providing seeds for people uh, in need. They have seeds from all different seed banks in their original packaging. It's Gorilla, like G-O-R-I-L-L-A dash cannabis dash seeds dot co dot UK. Um, they're on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, all that stuff. You can check them out. Um, but people are always constantly asking me where should they get seeds from? Where can I find feminized seeds? Where can I find autoflowering? Where can I find seeds from these Dutch companies that don't seem to um, shipped to the United States. All of that is available at Gorilla Seed Bank. And, you know, their customer service, their freebies that they give out, their packaging, everything about what they do is really well done. So we appreciate their support for us. We love the fact that they have worldwide delivery of all the cannabis seeds, and they give you free seeds. If you mention free weed, you get all kinds of free seeds and, and different deals that they have going uh, at different times. Um, very discreet, great prices, and eco-friendly Check them out, gorillacannabisseeds.co.uk. Uh, Kyle, um, tell, take, 
take us through the drying and curing process and explain a little bit about the, the difference between drying and curing and why curing is so important. Uh, well, um, mostly for full enjoyment of the product, curing is really important. Um, and drying is really important because you can't cure properly until you dry properly. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do this. It's going to depend a lot on the quantity of cannabis that we're talking about um, and the amount of workload that you have to squeeze into and uh, how many hands you have to help. So at Buds and Roses, we do it really an old, old school method and we chop the plants down whole when they're done. Um, maybe about 10 days before harvest, we've already deleafed it. All the sugar leaves, all the water leaves are all gone and anything, any, basically any leaf with a stem sticking out is gone, um, allowing about uh, 10, 10, day, 10 to 14 days for the light to penetrate fully into the plant to help try to mature some of the lower buds. And, uh, and then uh, we chop the plant down in the morning before the, uh, the growing cycle gets uh, heated for the day and chop the plants down whole, string them up on lines and keep them in a temperature and humidity controlled environment in the dark. We're also uh, experimenting with, I don't know if you could say experimenting, we're just uh, trying some of our grows, uh, leaving them in the dark for several days ahead of time. And I generally tend to, to think that it, it leads to um, uh, a tastier flower at the end. Um, and uh, so let them, let, them, let them stay in the dark for three days at the end. Once you think they're done, You've already checked the trichomes. Let them go three days, seventy-two hours in the dark, and then um, and then harvest them. Hang them up whole, and uh, this gives you a little bit more of a slower, uh, more even dry, rather than chopping the flowers or the buds off of the stems and laying them out on screens where you'd have to turn them or rotate them. Or it's going to be a little different everywhere. Just let it dry the way it naturally does, and um, five days, seven days later, the buds are pretty much uh, dry on the outside. And that's a good time to buck them down, as I like to say. It's what I call removing the flowers from the stems. We buck them down into bins. And that's uh, leaving enough moisture in the flowers so that they, they can now be processed. Because they're going to be handled, they're going to be out in the light. And um, you know this could take uh, half a day or whatnot. So you don't want it to be too dry by the time you get to that process. And then, um, then from there, depending on how dry or not they are, they're either going to glass jars for uh, curing or maybe into some Rubbermaid bins for a little bit of burping for a day or two, or just a little bit more uh, pre-curing, let's call it. And then it's into glass jars for two weeks with uh, really at, without any checks. Um, and then um, if we've done our job right, when we check it after a couple of weeks, we should pop it open. There should be gases in there, but it should smell really sweet and no hint of ammonia. And that means we did our job right and then we can close them up and uh, cure them up for another uh, month or two. All right, uh, Rick, uh, you wanted to say something about curing? Uh, yeah, I can't overemphasize uh, what Kyle was saying. Uh, like probably 90 plus percent of all the cannabis that we see at Harborside and that I see in general in California or anywhere in the country is not been cured. It's been dried, it's gone through that 10 day, two week process that Kyle's talking about to get it dried, um, but it hasn't actually been cured. And because like, we have the ability to test cannabis right on site now with the Steepo's Quantican device, um, we do a lot of testing for growers to kind of figure out what an optimal time to cure is. And we see uh, increases in THC potency as much as like 4% during that curing process. So not only are you getting rid of converting chlorophylls to sugars and providing something that's just tastes a lot better to smoke, you're actually significantly increasing the potency of the final flower by going through that six week, eight week, or even longer care sometimes. And Rick, on that same note, when you see it real test really out for CBG, you know it's supposed to grow early, correct? Um, the Quantican unfortunately only does THC and CBD, um, but if we ran a full spec from the lab, you'd definitely see that stuff for sure. Yeah. Uh, I wanna ask uh, DJ to uh, take us through a breeding process, just quickly. I know a lot of people wanna create their own strains, um, it's a difficult thing to do and there's a lot of things you need to understand before you just take male pollen and add it to a female flower. So explain to people a little bit about that process, the selection process and 
what an F1 and all of that sort of thing is? Sure. Um, I started with Landrace P1s that were um, Highland Tie, Highland Oaxacan, Chocolate Tie, and um, Afghan. Now, three of those are sativa, one's extremely indica. Uh, the parent stock were very different. I used the pollen from the indica to the uh, sativa. I went both ways and tried them. Um, I just preferred taking the pollen from the indica to the sativa. Most of my contemporaries in the day, all of my contemporaries went the other way. You gotta understand, when the indica plant showed up, it was very novel um, compared to the sativa we were growing. And it was at the same time that HID lighting came. So I always like to point out to people that prior to this, it was, picture an 18-week sativa under fluorescence. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we, we did it. Um, anyhow, here's this indica plant, oh boy. But it was, you know, skunky, green, um, and just really knocked you down. It was the couch lock thing. Um, easy to manicure, short flowering time, right? I mean, eight weeks, whoa, she's done. Um, but for me, I mean, it lasted less than a year before I was like, oh, been there, done that. Time with that. 1983, Robert Clark, I believe, under the right, the name of R in High Times, did a, uh, uh, on the cover of High Times was a black cover with an indica bud and a red slash symbol saying, ban the bud. And it's, we got tired of it. You know, we wanted those tropical sativa back. He was concerned about the these hybrid genetics getting back to the tropics and polluting the gene pool. All right, anyhow, you have these very different um, P1s. Um, when you cross those, you then have your um, F1 generation, which is the first filial generation. And if you're following this um, course that I'm talking about, where you have two extremely dissimilar parents, you will see what is referred to in biology as transgressive segregation. Um, so the F1s are all uniform, the F2s are where the uh, um, diversity begins. Um, just so you can wrap your head around it, I use dog breeding. Um, and let's just imagine for P1s we have a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. All right? Let's hope the Great Dane is the mother. Um, and we cross those and our F1s are going to be something in between, but very uniform. Something the size of a pit bull or a boxer. You take any two of those F1s and cross them and you end up in your F2 generation where according to transgressive segregation, you will see um, examples larger than the Great Dane and smaller than the Chihuahua. They go beyond the parameters of the parent stock. So that's what I was seeing in the F2s. And then in the F2s, I would say for blueberry, it was a blueberry mother, a blueberry father, um, bring those together uh, to make the F2 seeds. Um, and I should see more uh, uniformity um, in that F3. For example, um, in, in the F2, maybe 20% uh, of those were berry, and out of that 20%, I pick a berry uh, mother and a berry father. Well, by the F3, I should be seeing 50% if I did it right. By the F4, 75%, and so on. And it's just really doing that selection work to pick what you want. I mean, I could have gone any route. I could have gone orange, uh, pine, cedar, as far as flavors, uh, different structures. Uh, so on and so forth, but it's that selection process um, on and through that uh, makes that happen. And looking for that transgressive segregation, two very dissimilar parents. Yes, you cross the F1s with themselves, and any two of the F1s, you don't have to do any selection process in there. The numbers, you hear about numbers, numbers are important in the P1 and in the F2 generation. That's primarily in the, in the P1. I had between 2,000 and 3,000 passed through my hands for the three that I selected. Excellent. All right, well, we've run out of time. I'm sorry we're not going to be able to do questions on the show live, but uh, we're going to go to the back, uh, just to the outside, whoever wants to join us. We're going to go head back there, and you can ask some questions on a personal level with some of these guys if you have some questions. Uh, thank you very much for coming uh, back. That was a that was an epic panel, I would say. I would also call that epic. Yeah, that was a good time. Mm -hmm. I feel like a good time was had by all.
<laughs> particularly me, even though I missed the majority of it. Yeah, you weren't even there. I did get water for everybody, so That's I felt true. like I contributed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun time, and uh, we're going to do it all again in Michigan. We'll be in Seattle after that, and uh, I'll be at Seattle Hempfest in August, and then uh, we're doing Seattle Cannabis Cup in September. So, Just rolling on. Keeps on coming. Keeps on rolling. And by the way, speaking of rolling, we are uh, wrapping it up with Raw right now. Always. Yeah, that's raw how papers. we do. That's mm. what wraps my joints. Yes. So, yes, that is what we wrap, a- wrap it up with here at High Times. And... Um, yeah, so again, like I mentioned earlier, if you have sent us a question or a remark and we have not responded, hang in there. We will mm-hmm. get to everybody, and we appreciate all of that. Keep it coming. It's a free weed at hightimes.com. You can also find us on Twitter. He is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike Hughes underscore. You got anything else, Danko? Thanks for listening, guys and gals. <laughs>